Hey, Lord listeners, welcome back to the Kiss Me Quicks Erotica Podcast. This is your favorite sexy librarian, Rose Carraway. Today I've got my very first fan fiction story based on Sylvester Stallone's The Expendables movies. Uh, my story is titled Love is a Battlefield, and I am very excited to bring it your way finally. But first, I've got some really exciting news. Our first Stupid Fish Productions full-length audiobook, Ten and a Half Hours, The Sexy Librarian's Dirty 30 audiobook is now available in Audible. Yeah. <laughs> I am so freaking proud of this, especially... After all, just the trial of getting it out there in ebook with Amazon banning the cover and then us having to redo the cover. So the cover you will notice in Amazon is different. It's the same beautiful, sexy girl. She's protesting, though. She is on her knees on the same beautiful, luscious red chair. But she's got her back turned to Amazon because they were, you know, dicks. And uh, but you will notice that Audible, which is still run through Amazon, kept my original artwork, uh, the beautiful girl in her lovely, luscious red chair. She's um, she's giving herself some, some pleasure below a pillow, and she looks hot doing so. She's in the throes. She is in the throes of some sexy, uh, dirty tales that are, uh, I swear to God, I am so... It is hilarious how that cover is okay at one end of Amazon, but not the other. So whatevs. <laughs> so if you are interested in The Sexy Librarian's Dirty 30 audiobook, it is available right now in Audible. The ebook is also available. It is only for a limited time available for $2.99. So get it while it's hot, y'all, because it's going to be going back up in, in price. Yeah. It's a that's a hell of a deal. Some of it. our finest work, if I must, <laughs> if I, if I might say. Many many um, erotica authors that I adore and love are featured in this book, and they bring some dirty heat. And I am so excited to finally uh, bring it to the world. So it is there. It's ready, yo. Ebook and audio. It will eventually be available in print as well. Uh, we are getting set to make that happen. So. You know, you guys can get all three versions of the Sexy Librarian's Dirty 30. Yeah, and like she said, this is our first one that we're no influence, no publishers, no body, but us. <laughs> no governing bodies, no but body. Stupid Fish Productions, which is Big Daddy and me. So. That's it. And so we're very proud of it. I yeah. mean, if you love the show and you love what we do, you know, this one, above all, uh, really supports what we do. I mean, yes. we put a pretty big investment in this one, time and money. <laughs> uh, and, you know, brain cells to pick the best that we could. So. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, if you really want to support KMQ and the Sexy Librarian Podcasts and keep this stuff coming, um, seriously, please go get some of this. Any of it. One of them. Yeah. All of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also... Uh, the Dirty 30 authors, many of those authors I am going to be um, interviewing over at the Sexy Librarian Blogcast. I'm going to do another round of Inside the Erotica Authors Studio. So I'm really excited to kick that off. The first guest is going to be Malin James, and she actually contributed two stories to the Dirty 30 uh, anthology, and we're going to have a fantastic conversation. She's actually coming in... St 
Well, let me rephrase that. She's not coming in studio. She we will can be hope. Coming to, Some, we can hope. <laughs> she'll be coming to the studio, uh, sitting here opposite me, and uh, I'll be sure to have the air conditioner on because it is hot as hell <laughs> right now. So um, I'm really excited to to welcome Malin James uh, to the Sexy Librarian Blogcast, her very first time being on that. So that'll be cool. And speaking of the Sexy Librarian Blogcast... Oh, my God. I had Remittance Girl over, and we chatted for two hours. And if you know who Remittance Girl is, then you're up and up on the erotica genre. If you don't, if you are a writer who is interested in creating your own erotic fiction, you need to listen to what this woman has to say. We had a fantastic discussion. We talked about erotica. She's wonderful. She's knowledgeable. um, And she... Take your time with that episode. Like I said, it's two hours long. Um, You may need to even go back. I'm going to go back and listen and write some things down. She she dropped the knowledge, you guys, and um, it is it. That interview is well worth your time. Okay, so now it is time to bring you lovely lurid listeners my very first fan fiction story. Love is a battlefield, based on Sylvester Stallone's The Expendables. I. I'm a huge fan of Sylvester Stallone. I love the blow him up, the gun him down. I every I love 80s action adventures movies and um you know She really does people. I do. <laughs> Like, it's, these are her favorites, the, pre- <laughs> the Predators and Get to the oh, Chopper, oh, God. all that stuff. They make me juicy, I will not lie. Um, it's fun to get that kind of eye candy. I really adore it. I love cliches. Everybody already knows that. Um, so I packed it full of cliches just as it's done in the Expendables movies. Uh, you know, some of them went a little too far. They were a little too tongue-in-cheek. Um, but you know what? I enjoyed it anyway, goddammit. Uh, so I wrote my story, Love is a Battlefield, and I'm just going to run through the cast because there's a few people in here. Um, and so if you're not familiar with it, I'll, I'll give you a little help. So the first main character, Barney Ross, who is Sylvester Stallone. And then we've got Lee Christmas, his best friend, second-in-command, Jason Statham and Gunner is Dolph Lundgren. And then we've got Tool, who is Mickey Rourke. Uh, I've got a couple of secondary characters, and that's Terry Crews. His character is Hale Caesar. And then Randy Couture, who is Toll Road. Uh, And they don't have much of a role, but their names are mentioned. Excuse me. (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited. (laughs) I choked myself out talking about Randy Couture. Um, So... I'm really excited. I built this story like a movie. So it's a little over an hour and it does come through just as, you know, the tension builds. And then, you know, I, I'm going to stop you and then I'm going to build some more tension. And I'm going to stop you and then I'm going to build you some more tension. But I do drop some Easter eggs in there. So any fans of Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, Dolph Lundgren, Mickey Rourke, you guys, um, I hope you find them all. They're, they're not too subtle, but they're kind of subtle. So um, I had fun dropping them in there. It was cool. Yeah, it's fun. We do Easter eggs all the time, so I think people are kind of used to that. But, yeah, she really does. And some of them I don't even know about. Like, yeah. you're such an Uber fan, I'm like, and I'm not. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I like how you say Uber fan. I'm <laughs> like a fanatic. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, so, hey, uh, without further ado, it is my great pleasure to bring you Love is a Battlefield. Love is a Battlefield. 
do you want the good news or the bad news? Christmas let the binoculars rest against his chest. Barney had just arrived, muscled arms dripping with sweat, a sniper rifle over his shoulder. He was almost smiling. He could feel something like contentment tugging at the corner of his mouth, happiness threatening to emerge. The jungle was his favorite stomping grounds. None of his men seemed to enjoy it as much as him. He glanced over his team, three at the moment. Then his eyes settled on Gunner. Forget something? Gunner smiled derisively as he accepted his forgotten rifle, then set to checking the weapon's sights and ammo, grumbling. You know I hate the jungle, right? A man can't think in this kind of humidity. Barney forced a smile now to cover his scowl. Gunner was getting careless, forgetful, and that made him dangerous, untrustworthy, a pain in the ass that needed to be babysat. Barney hated babysitting. He made a mental promise that this was the last time for second chances. Gunner had officially exceeded his limit, and it was a damn shame. Well? Christmas asked again, his tone only slightly impatient. He was also frustrated with Gunner, but more concerned with the situation at hand. Let me guess, you finally found a way to save my soul, Barney said in jest. Neither man was religious, however, the Brit was always good for a joke, and Barney rather enjoyed the taste of levity before death. Getting shot wasn't as regular as to be considered routine, but it happened, and you never knew when your number was up. Better to have a good laugh before meeting your bullet than die with a sour stomach. They were all going to die and had accepted their fates matter-of-factly. Regret was toxic. They each knew that, but they did their best to pretend that regret wasn't part of the equation. She's already left the nest, so that takes care of the extraction. I don't know how, but she's even headed our way. Christmas tossed the binoculars to Barney. That's the good news. The bad news is she's losing ground. Fast. Christmas pointed to his 10 o'clock, his tone, the perfect combination of calm and urgent. She won't make it. Barney raised the binoculars. He scanned the dense trees and brush below for movement about a mile out. They'd situated themselves on high ground, making it a little easier to see. But when he caught her image in the viewer, his heart unexpectedly quickened. Slender, pale arms and legs pumped as they carried the woman through the dense Southeast Asian jungle without a single misstep. It was the easy way she ran that held Barney's eye, made his chest tighten with something distant, a pinprick that caused his focus to wane. He blinked, observed the woman more closely. It was unmistakable. She possessed an adeptness, kept a light-footed pace, 
and avoided the jungle foliage better than even he could. He couldn't help but wonder if she'd seen combat before. What caught his eye next was her hair. Not the way it sailed behind her, but the color. It was a long, silken mess, and although he could make out the grime caking her seemingly composed face, her long hair was white, like a truce flag trailing behind her. This woman was no scientist, no clumsy nuclear physicist. This was a young woman, all too familiar with pursuit. A woman who'd been hunted before. We sure this is the package? He knew she was, felt it in his gut, and it made him nervous. It's the Temple Vipers, boys' club tattoos on their forearms. It all checked out, confirmed. Barney gave him a sideways glare. Either way, that girl's in trouble. Christmas was right. The girl was in trouble. Barney peered through the binoculars again. Something pulled at him. Just when he was about to pan left, the woman with the white hair looked directly at him. He was certain of it. Goosebumps rippled over his skin. We good? Christmas had stepped to his side. Yeah, we're good. I just suddenly got that feeling. What feeling? That feeling? Yeah, like the unexpected is going to pay us a visit today. Right, that's just what we need. Barney took a deep breath, gripped the binoculars, checked the woman's progress. She was losing ground and would lose more when she reached their hill. The men giving her chase knew it. They didn't have their weapons drawn. Still, something nagged the back of his brain, distracted him. They couldn't afford mistakes or get sidetracked. He sighed. They were looking for a woman with white hair. The insufficient description Church had provided was the only identifier, other than that she was female and would be in a lab run by the Temple Viper gang. But he'd used offhandedly the term bioweapon, too, which had more than caught Barney's attention. Church hadn't offered any further info. This woman was wearing a worn, jumper-type dress, tattered and dirty, not a lab coat, and it looked as though she'd been wearing it for months. She displayed every indication that she was a prisoner, not an esteemed scientist. Yet again, working with Church had proven to be an enormous guessing game. The abridged version of Intel got men killed— Barney's grip tightened on the binoculars. This is the last favor. Church can shove his Gitmo threats up his ass. He checked that his Kimbers were loaded. He knew they were, 
But a man who wanted to win always checked twice. Basics were basics for a reason. He reholstered his pistols. Gunner! Gunner looked up as though surprised to be there. Stay here. Keep me updated on traffic. He turned to Lee Christmas, his friend and second-in-command. Up front and personal, or surprise ending? Barney smiled, tossed the binoculars to Gunner. You know I like a good surprise. Besides, you're more of a people person than I am. Christmas straightened the ball cap atop his bald head, then disappeared back the other way, through their recently carved trail. He'd backtrack around and get behind the second group of Temple Vipers, prevent them from catching up to the first group. Barney pressed his neck communicator, radioing Caesar and Toll Road, who were staked out at wider positions. We've got eyes on the package, and we're moving in. Copy that, Caesar responded. Barney looked down the hill. It was steep. His knees would snap like rubber bands if he wasn't careful. She's slowing down, Gunner announced in his usual careless tone. But Barney knew it was a deceptive tactic. Gunner was a formidable warrior, an unpredictable he-man that would just as soon cut your head off as shoot you. She's breathing heavy, boss. Go time? Christmas asked. Go time. Barney confirmed. Barney hung up without another word. He looked down the hill again, adjusted his beret, and pointed to the sniper rifle cradled in Gunner's arms. Keep your eye open. And with that, he launched himself down the hill. What do you know? Balls out. He avoided roots, animal burrows, kept most of the foliage from slapping him in the face. The rapid descent made his knees burn, but his feet never went out from under him. Sixty-seven years old and still hauling ass like he was twenty. Barney reached the halfway mark when Gunner's static-laden voice came through his earpiece. Our little white rabbit is headed right to you. How long? He panted. Almost lost his footing that time. Sixty seconds, give or take. Barney drew one of his kimbers. He spied a felled tree just at the bottom of the hill and dove for it with a smooth, forward shoulder roll. Cottontail is hopping right to you, boss. Gunner's lazy voice crackled again. Little bunny foo-foo's in sight. Barney pulled his second handgun, pressed his back against the log, and controlled his breathing. In a crouched position, he soundlessly crept upward until he could just steal a look over his left shoulder. He held his breath, studied all he could see, barely caught the sound of footfalls and a hard feminine panting, That instantly triggered the unwanted ache in his chest again. He saw a flash of white through the foliage. He let his own breath out slowly, quietly, and sank back down onto his heels and holstered his weapons. 
He cleared his lungs and his mind of images better suited while off the job, focused on timing the approaching footfalls. The moment he caught sight of one slender pale thigh as it slid over the fallen tree, he reached. Her startled cry was cut short by his palm over her lips, pulled her over the rest of the way. The fullness of her breasts heaved beneath his arm. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help. He could feel her heart thumping rapidly within her chest. Her scent was a soft fragrance that threatened to redirect his objective. Her thin frame relaxed against him, signifying she understood. Hopefully, he released her and put a finger to his lips, reminding her to remain silent. She crouched down against the log, tucked a long, tangled band of white hair behind an ear, and looked up at him with the clearest steel-blue eyes he'd ever seen. Wide and bottomless, he felt as though he were drowning, contentedly, in those eyes. She smiled. Her eyes followed his hands as he pulled his weapons, this time to use them. The sound of men's searching voices became louder, jolted him from the sneaking, carnal webs that lingered in his mind. He signaled that she stay put. She nodded understanding, her cheeks flush in a temptingly delicate shade of pink. He pressed his neck communicator, whispered, Gunner. Gunner. How many? Thankfully, Gunner had his back now, but Barney wasn't as confident about it the way he used to be. He could tell by the muffled way that Gunner's voice came through that he was looking through his sniper scope. I spy with my little eye ten, eleven bad guys, and three more makes sixteen. You want some company? No, stay put. Barney gripped the handles of his kimbers lightly. They'd become extensions of his arms as soon as they were in his hands. He adjusted his weight onto the balls of his feet, then stood up and pivoted. In less than 16 seconds, 16 men fell dead on the ground. With lightning speed, Barney shucked his spent clips and reloaded, ready for any surprises. Barney, you there? It was Christmas. Barney turned, checked on the package. The woman. Her eyes, wide and steel blue, looked back at him, seducing him. Her lips parted, inviting. He expected her to at least be terrified or some close facsimile, but she wasn't. She looked at him as though she wanted him. He cleared his throat, forced himself to turn away. Go ahead, Christmas. Everything's tidied up over here. Any more partygoers coming your way? Gunner lazily confirmed no enemies were in sight. Negative. All clear. Barney holstered his weapons after a last look around, 
then offered a gloved hand to the woman. She accepted it warmly and stood close, close enough that he could smell her again. He felt desperately unprepared for her disheveled winsomeness, that if he didn't taste it, he would waste away into nothingness. Want help with a package? Christmas was already on the move, headed his way. Yeah, need any help with our little rabbit? Gunner chimed in. Barney couldn't respond immediately. His throat wouldn't work. Bonnie? Negative. I, I'll meet you up at the top. We need to get back to Florida, set up for the meet with church. Barney waited for confirmation from Gunner. It came, reluctantly. The woman took a step closer, once again completely dismantling his carefully forged wall of emotional preservation. The slight smile on her lips parted. Thank you. And then he felt it. The bullet with his name on it. Hot metal pierced his flesh just under the arm at his best's edge. The bullet dove for his heart. He felt its trajectory come to a halt as it hit the inside of his tactical vest. His arms instantly became heavy, too heavy to unholster his pistols and return fire to kill the son of a bitch who'd killed him. But there came another boom, distantly, yet it rang in his ear. For the first time in his life, Barney wasn't prepared to die. He wasn't ready. He wanted to hear what this strangely alluring woman with stunningly white hair was about to say. He tried to resist death, to push away from it, but his body slumped forward into the woman's arms. He barely had time to register the sorrow that etched in her metal blue eyes. Barney didn't feel anything after that. Until a soothing warmth billowed within his chest, dissolved all the pain that seemed to concentrate there, freezing and apathetic. Fingers slid through his hair, gently pulled him from the cold, dark ether. Sweet, soft lips pressed against his, drew him upward out of the vast emptiness that had swallowed him whole. Those soothing hands caressed his face, his neck. Fingers clutched at his shoulders, pulled him closer still, and then he felt the distinct press of a woman's hips against his, and he kissed her back. His response was animal-like, urgent, desperate for closer contact, fulfillment. He crushed her with his weight. He knew it, but she didn't protest. His cock slid in and out, long and steady, pumping. Her kisses deepened, her thighs tightened. He knew she was about to come. And I thought I had female problems. Christmas came instead.
Barney sat in one of Tool's patched-up barber chairs, smoking a cigar, while Tool put the finishing touches on a customer's motorcycle boy tattoo. His girlfriend, Cheyenne, was upstairs with the package, locating some loner clothes and getting her cleaned up. Caesar, Gunner, and Toll Road were helping themselves to a few beers while restocking their weapon supply. It would have been a comfortable hum in the air, a pleasant camaraderie only shared between men of war, had it not been for Barney's current state of mind. Christmas sat down on a bar stool next to him, a silent friend, imposing. Barney's second-in-command wanted answers. Six million dollars wasn't anything to sneeze at, and Barney's compromising scene earlier didn't help matters. He took a long, contemplative drag of his Arturo Fuente cigar, let the smoke ease from his pursed lips, reflecting a composure that was calm, collected, a well-polished state of being, one that had saved his life many times and made his crew feel safe. Inside, however, his mind was still reeling from what he thought had happened and what he'd done, and his head ached terribly from it. At least it was Christmas who had seen him and not Gunner. Barney would never have been able to live it down, didn't deserve to. His men knew something was amiss, but Christmas had kept the abominable details to himself, affording Barney some time to, what, analyze the situation, try to rationalize it, make it okay? Barney rubbed his temples. He couldn't despise himself any more than he already did. Jesus, his team would never follow him again when they found out what he'd done. We need to talk. Christmas couldn't hold out any longer, the situation obviously eating at him, too. Barney took another drag from his fuente, but said nothing. He didn't know what to say, how to start. Whatever it is, I need to hear it from you. I need to know. Christmas urged, impatient but remaining polite. This was a sensitive subject, one that no man wanted branding him. Barney started to rise, but Christmas pressed his shoulder. Seriously, just tell me. Barney took a breath. Blue, let the smoke crowd around him again. It was comforting. Something happened. God, he hated uncertainty. He pinched the bridge of his nose. Barney couldn't find the words. Instead, he handed over the shirt that was balled up in his lap, the one with the bullet hole through it, his blood stains. Christmas accepted it, uncertain of why. Barney lifted the clean shirt he was wearing, exposed the space under his arm where the bullet had struck him. No wound, not even a bruise, just this new scar. Christmas was perplexed, at the risk of sounding tedious, I still don't understand. Gunner miscounted. Great, now he was stating the obvious and shamelessly shifting blame. 
Gunner had miscounted. Christmas nodded, but their suspicions were another issue to be handled at a later date. I heard your shot. It's why I came. Barney shook his head. One of his clips was short around. She had to be the one who'd fired his gun. I was hit. I fell. I didn't get a shot off. But I... I did a hell of a lot more than that. Christmas's brow creased. Yeah, I noticed. Look, maybe this humidity's finally getting to you. I died, Barney insisted, though as those two simple words spilled from his lips, even he doubted them. Christmas looked at the shirt again and sighed. What you're saying makes no sense. She brought you back? Church said bioweapon. I don't know, but I can't get it out of my head. Christmas took a moment, looked his friend in the eye. Barney wasn't given to episodes. Say what you're saying is true, that she brought you back to life. Well, that would give a whole new meaning to bioweapon. No kidding. The tinny sound of a bell halted their private conversation as the tattoo parlor's front door sounded. The customer was leaving. Tool flipped the closed sign and locked the door. Sorry about the wait, brother. What can I do you for? He asked Barney. Barney readjusted in his seat and was about to start at the beginning when he heard Cheyenne coming downstairs, the white-haired woman following. She wore only a blanket around her shoulders. Barney was somehow angered by that. Why hadn't Cheyenne given her any clothes? He turned to Tool, but the man put his hand up. Christ, when do you have to be at church? Eight hours, Barney said, just as distracted as Tool. His gaze followed the white-haired woman as she took the last barefooted step off the spiral staircase. Brother, I think your soul might be saved. Barney didn't understand, neither did Christmas, by the perplexed look on his face. The strange, petite woman was attractive, in fact, very attractive, but that hardly meant anything. She's all freshened up, baby. I'm gonna go ahead and go, okay? Promise you boys won't have too much fun without me, okay? Cheyenne kissed Tool on the cheek and waved her fingers at the rest of them, then left the shop. Tool smiled, might have even blushed, but then he turned his attention back to the woman who'd chosen to pull up another stray barstool next to Barney. Gunner, Caesar, and Tollroad silently made their way closer, as though her presence pulled them to her as well. Barney forgot for a moment how to breathe, rethought smoking his cigar. What's your name, sweetheart? Tool asked, a strange hollowness in his voice, as though he were speaking to a ghost. Barney felt a stab of embarrassment. He hadn't bothered to ask the woman for her name. Guilt trampled his embarrassment as he remembered violating her body. She tightened the blanket around her shoulders. 
He couldn't blame her. But why was she sitting so close to him? She should be as far away from him as she could get. Krenna. Her voice sounded like rain falling outside a bedroom window. Soothing. She looked at Barney, looped her thin arm around his muscled one. Was she holding something in her hand? Barney felt sick to his stomach. Tool nodded, as though he'd gotten the answer he'd expected, yet still somehow looked surprised. Christmas stood up. Am I missing something here? Barney's throat felt dry. He didn't want her so close to him, but he liked the way her warmth felt next to him. He snubbed out his cigar, couldn't stop his hands from shaking. Tool nodded his private certainty again, then thumbed tobacco into his long pipe and puffed until smoke billowed. He smiled and tilted his head, addressed Barney with the bit of his pipe. You have one hell of a choice to make, brother. The once-in-a-lifetime kind. Barney felt Krenna's fingers tighten on his arm. He wanted to run. Run until his legs didn't work anymore. I'm not a Navy boy, but I've drunk with more than a few of them. They get drunk enough, they start talking about mystical shit. You know, stories of beautiful, big-breasted women with fishtails, rescuing men drowning in the sea. It's the kiss of a mermaid that can save a sailor's life. Well, you get a bunch of Marines drunk, the same thing happens. Same kind of magical bedtime stories are told. Folklore is as old as war. It helps men sleep at night. The room had grown quiet. Each man nodded understanding. Tool stirred the tobacco in his pipe, then continued. Pretty Krenna here is your mermaid, Barney. A soldier's salvation. She has the power to save you when you're drowning. And your team, if that part of the old tales are true. Tool blew smoke, contemplating amazement. Barney could feel Krenna pressing against his arm. Christmas broke the silence with a barking laugh. He scratched his bald head and waited, clearly perplexed. Gunner, on the other hand, had been processing each word that tumbled from Tool's lips. He looked spooked. He practically lunged into the center of their circle. Bullshit. There's no way she's a healer. Barney gave him a displeased look. He preferred that his men maintain a certain decorum when around women, especially civilians. From his boot, Tool withdrew his folded espada knife. He snicked it open with an easy flick of his wrist, held it up so that the neon lights from the windows glinted off the blade's edge. Allow me to demonstrate. Barney knew what Tool had in mind. Wait. He leaned forward, offered his free arm. Christmas was beside himself, his hand automatically hovering over his own pocketed blade, clearly not wanting to have to use it. Somebody better start explaining things or I'm going to be offended. Tool chuckled under his breath. Easy, Christmas. No need to get all cranked up, brother. With his pipe tightly clenched between his teeth, he accepted Barney's arm. Krenna tensed. 
Why did this woman feel so protective over him? Who the hell was she? Tool dragged the edge of his blade across Barney's forearm, leaving behind a thick liquid strip of bright red blood, which began dripping onto the floor in a long, steady flow. The sensation of fire caught up to the cut, and Barney clenched his jaw. The pain was exquisite. Krenna let the native print blanket slide from her shoulders as she stood. Barney forgot about his arm as he noticed she was wearing clothes, a pair of jean cutoffs, and a tank top. Her nipples were visible behind the thin cotton fabric. He swallowed as his eyes followed the slender lines of her body. Even Tool's breath caught. A warm, soothing sensation blossomed up Barney's arm as Krenna lay her palm over the wound, and then very slowly, as though wiping away a smudge of dirt, the wound was gone. That same completeness washed over him as it had before, but in a lighter, feathering sort of way. But then he suddenly felt claustrophobic, as once again he was overtaken by the sudden urge to possess this woman, to feel her body beneath his, to taste every inch of her flesh. And then her lips met his, soft, pliable, wet. Her arms looped around his neck, her tongue prodded for his. It was difficult to breathe, but he didn't want to breathe just then. He only wanted to sink deep inside of this woman, to fall into her all over again. He stood abruptly before his lust overtook him again. He held her away at arm's length, if only to catch his breath, but his hands on her flesh was still too much. He looked pointedly at Tool. Can she stay here for the night? I need to... I'll be back in the morning. Sure, brother. Mi casa es su casa. Barney excused himself. No one said a word. Krenna turned to Tool, held out her small fist. Tool raised his hand as she dropped a single bullet onto his palm, and then followed Barney outside. Christmas stepped next to Tool and plucked the spent slug from his palm, inspecting it. Well, that was unexpected. Confusion slowly dissipated from his expression. You don't believe any of that mermaid mumbo-jumbo, do you? Tool slapped him on the shoulder. Come on, Christmas. I thought you were the kind of guy who believed in miracles. Right. Christmas snorted. But I thought mermaids always drowned sailors. Tool put his glasses on and took the bullet back from Christmas. Yeah, I suppose that's what it feels like to some in the beginning. I think the important thing to remember is that they only come for the men who need them most. Christmas watched Krenna as she followed Barney.
The alley was vacant, the perfect pitch of black to match his heart. He didn't trust himself to take his motorcycle back to the docks. He needed to stop shaking first. He continuously ran the event through his mind, over and over, and still couldn't remember anything clearly. He was beginning to doubt his perceptions. But damn it, he never felt more certain of anything in his entire life. He had died. And while his life was leaving his body, it had unnerved him, brought forth to the forefront of everything most important to him, desire. Even sitting next to her was an internal battle between his emotional and physical needs. He'd needed tool to prove what he'd already known, couldn't find the words to explain to his men, himself. He had always been a plain-spoken man, liked things, simple. But now, his head was in the clouds because of the dreaded, compromising presence of a woman. He touched his arm, still felt her warmth, as though she were within his bloodstream, flowing through him. Questions pelted his sanity. Where did this woman come from? How could she possess such an ability like magic? He heard footsteps, bare feet stepping lightly over pavement. It was her. Every time he tried to clear his head, she was there. The worst part was that he didn't really mind. It was a nice break from everything else in his life. He turned around to face her. I'm not what you're looking for. Her pale hand rested against his cheek. But you are. You already decided. She stepped closer, her fingers sliding to the back of his neck the way they had before. He looked down at her lips as she spoke. I saw inside your heart, Barney. I know your truth. Now she pulled him closer, one hand pressed to the center of his chest. He didn't resist. Remember, I asked you. You want me to save you. She pulled him the rest of the way. Their lips met. Barney kissed her deeply, growled into her mouth as her fingers tugged at his hair, his shoulders, passion a dangerous blaze within him that couldn't be put out by anything other than her. And suddenly she was gone, her body moving downward. His pants were undone, his cock exposed, and then suddenly swallowed by her warm mouth. Oh God, he was coming undone. Tension unraveled from his entire body at an unbearable pace. How had she forgotten that he'd forced her? How could she forgive him? Lips and tongue, her fingers all massaged the length of his cock. His hands went to her skull, his fingers buried into her long hair. He drew her to him, his cock penetrating her mouth vigorously. But then, images, once lost in the fog of half-wakefulness, became clear. His chest felt tight, as if the bullet punctured his heart all over again, a fiery sieve that drained the life force out of him. He recalled falling into her arms, how she felt 
beneath his body, and how her lips had awakened him from death's embrace. Her legs had spread for him. She drew the first kiss, not him. Fingernails dug into his thighs. He pulled himself from her mouth, looked down upon her face, and saw her truth now. White hair, messy once again, lips coated in spit. He lifted her to her feet, spun her around, shoved her against the brick wall, couldn't bear to look at those eyes. He pressed his body against hers. His lungs heaved for air as lust made him lightheaded. The tilt of her ass against his cock sent his brain spiraling. He buried his face into her neck, nipped at her skin. You want me, she said, breathless. I don't want to, he admitted. There was no room for her in his life. I know, she said, but you do. Her hand slid back, ran up the front of his thigh. Barney released her, pulled his pants up. I have to go. He hated himself for walking away, but he really did need to clear his head to focus. His life was complicated enough without a woman constantly on his mind. He didn't have time to sort through emotions every day. He headed for his motorcycle. Barney had never run from anything before. He did now. Barney opened his eyes. It was quiet, but something woke him. Something next to the pull-out cot, or was it from outside the albatross? Was it gunshot? He couldn't be sure. Sometimes the nightmares were so realistic, so intense, he swore he was reliving one war after another. But he hadn't been dreaming about gunfire, not this time. He'd been dreaming about the woman with long white hair and soft lips. Krenna. The hand around his cock was proof of that. He dreamt that he was fucking her, making her come on his cock. He closed his eyes, forced himself to listen, sifted through the faint sounds within the darkness that didn't belong. His fingers slid beneath the pillow for his single-action revolver. He cocked it there, letting the pillow muffle such a telling sound. He waited a few seconds more before springing silently as a mouse to his feet. He panned the darkness with his weapon. Nothing. The noise must have been from outside. He quickly donned his pants and boots, couldn't find his shirt, then swiftly stepped toward the door, still cracked for ventilation. An ear to the opening told him there wasn't any movement outside until he heard something 
a heavy thud. He knew exactly what that sound was. A body falling onto wooden planks. Dead. It sent chills up his spine. He'd fallen like that once. It was the time of night when shadows were the deepest. The moon still illuminated the sky, but dawn would arrive soon. Barney used his peripheral vision to track any movement or ill-placed shadows along the edges of the dock. There were neither. In his limited line of sight, just a single body lay motionless in a slump. The shine of moonlight across a bald head told him that it was Church who lay there, dead. But where were his men? Church never traveled alone. Barney yanked the door open the rest of the way with enough controlled force that anyone behind it wouldn't have had time to run before he killed them. He stepped out, swung left, then right. No one was there. Then he knew with a sickening reality. He'd been awakened by the subtle crunch of a sniper bullet punching through a man's skull. He bolted back into the albatross. He needed weapons and his radio. He needed to get to Krenna. It was a 20-minute drive back to Tool's place. Tool's tattoo shop was turned upside down. Bullet holes and blood were everywhere. It was quiet but the lights were on. Tool was on the floor, leaning gingerly to one side, supporting a nasty wound in his lower ribcage. The knife used was a wide and well-cared-for bowie. It looked to just have missed Tool's left lung. His shirt was unbuttoned, the lower sections torn off. One gun lay in his lap. Another, a sawed-off shotgun, lay next to his outstretched leg. The thigh bore two more slices that were bleeding a little more heavily. Tool winced through clenched teeth as he tied off his wounds, then looked up. Well, brother, things got a little bloody while you were away. Your boys, none of us saw it coming. Should have, that damn darkness sitting in his eyes the way it was. Tool hoisted himself up, stumbled, but reached for the nearby counter for support. He looked pale. Barney looked around, assisted his friend to the barber chair. Guilt and fury toiled within his gut as he calmly absorbed the scene around him. At least there weren't any more dead bodies. His lips curled back. Gunner. Tool nodded. Man fights like a goddamn Viking. Got a sense that he has a taste for cutting people open, too. He snagged an old beer bottle off the counter and swigged the remainder of it. Exhausted, he tossed the bottle onto the floor, then retrieved his pipe from his torn shirt pocket and began loading it. Barney clenched his jaw, tightened his fists. This was his fault. Gunner had been allowed off-leash for far too long. The front door chimed as his men returned, their faces cold from fresh betrayal. Christmas rubbed his lower lip, swollen and split. 
courtesy of Gunner's trademark long right cross. Barney squared his shoulders, looked each of his men in the eye. He got church. He wanted to add, by surprise, but that would have hit a little too close to home. They'll think it was us. Christmas swore under his breath. That's gonna go over well. Caesar and Tollroad just looked at one another, still unable to wrap their heads around what had happened. Christmas busied himself sorting through a cabinet that had come away from the wall during the fracas, spied a first aid kit and tossed it to Tollroad, who began tending to tool with swabs, a needle, and thread. Christmas signaled to Barney. I know where he's headed. Barney checked his Kimbers and spare revolver. Where? The weapon shed. Barney nodded, turned to leave. Wait a second. I'm coming with you. No, you stay here. This is my fault. My fight. I bloody owe him one. His friend pointed to his lip. You be sure to say hi for me, Christmas. Tool's voice strained under the stitches he was receiving. I will. Christmas checked his knives, pulled a missing one from the wall next to the front door. Oh, did I forget to mention, the bastard borrowed your truck. Barney was fuming. You two get Tool out of here in case anyone comes looking. He turned to Christmas. Let's go hunting. Christmas took the back, again, as usual. Barney had no compunctions about kicking in the front door of his own weapons storage. It was an old beachside garage facility turned weapons locker. He looked at his watch. Christmas would be ready any second now. Gunfire erupted at the back of the shop. A few grunts told him that Christmas's knives had quickly found their marks, but then he heard Christmas cuss. Barney kicked the front door in, shoulder-rolled behind a large pile of supply crates to avoid any incoming fire. He could hear Gunner's dry, lazy laugh. Suddenly, two more quick shots rang out. There was a longer, more intense scuffle. Something metal hit the roll-down door, probably one of Christmas's knives. And then Barney heard Gunner's dry laugh once more, though it sounded as though he was a little out of breath now. Come on in, Christmas. Let's celebrate. Gunner laughed again, and Barney heard Christmas stifle a moan. No need to sneak up on me, Barney. I know all your moves. Barney did a quick pass knew where at least five men were roosting around the shop. He launched himself from the supply crates, fired five rounds, heard five bodies hit the floor. Then he dove for cover behind his 1955 Ford F-100. His baby. The sound of chains told him that Gunner's men were stringing Christmas up. He wiped his brow, prepared to kill Gunner. Uh-uh, Barney. I know what you're thinking. Better come out now. Toss your weapons. Put your hands up. 
know the drill, where Christmas's lights are gonna go out. His second-in-command stifled another groan of agony, but this time, the sound of pain was stretched out a little longer than Barney liked. Gunner did have a taste for cutting. Frustration challenged Barney's rational thinking. First, he had to know one thing. Where's the girl, Gunner? He called over the Ford's hood, taking the opportunity to look around the shop. He could see the top of Christmas's head and that he was now strung up, arms chained above his head, hanging from an engine winch. Two long cuts striped his chest horizontally. He was out cold. Son of a bitch. She's here, boss. No worries. I'll bring her out after you come out. Barney had no choice. God damn it, he muttered under his breath. I'm coming out. He was immediately disarmed by two men already rounding the ford, his guns carelessly tossed away out of reach. Their office jocksuits indicated that these were church's men, betrayers banding together. Gunner. All accusation expressed in those two syllables. Why? Well, I guess because I was bored, Barney. He shrugged simply. Things have been getting a little too predictable around here. You need a little excitement running through your blood. Shake things up, don't you think? Don't want us getting too complacent, do you? A spinning back kick caught Barney in the solar plexus. He doubled over, couldn't breathe, drooled blood and spittle. If the suits hadn't been holding him, he'd have folded like a house of cards. Isn't this exciting? Gunner let out a satisfied grunt with the next punch thrown against Barney's ribs. Barney grunted too, dragged air back into his lungs. Not really. Ah, well then, let's liven things up, shall we? It felt like a wrecking ball was slamming into his head as jabs and crosses rained against his temples, his nose, his mouth. It took a considerable amount of focus to raise his head through the ringing in his ears and look Gunner in the eye. Your mind is dull, Gunner. You need to get clean. Wake up. Get out of that haze you've been stumbling around in. Gunner responded with the butt of his bowie knife against Barney's temple. Another jolt of lightning erupted inside his skull. His vision dangerously closing in. Krenna suddenly cried out for Gunner to stop, her voice muffled by duct tape. A suit wheeled her in. She was taped to an old, beat-up office chair. Sure, little rabbit, I'll stop. He struck Barney again with the butt of his knife, then casually strolled over to Krenna. Gunner held his bowie knife up and slowly turned the blade this way and that. Hey, Barney, you remember that little trick our little white rabbit pulled back at Tools? Well, she and I have had some quality time together, and I learned a few things. Faster than light, it seemed, Gunner sliced Krenna's stomach open. A long, clean, straight line just above her belly button. First, the wound started to gape open. Then it became a thin seam, 
and then a scar. And then it was gone altogether. The blood that had spilled reabsorbed. Barney looked at her face, barely having enough time to get over the brutal shock of what he'd just witnessed. He wanted desperately to take her into his arms, gently hold her, keep her safe. She looked tired, her steel-blue eyes reflecting his concern. Gunner sliced again, this time vertically, between her breasts. The shirt remained torn, but same as before, the surgical-like gash healed. It was all Barney could take. He saw red. That's enough, Gunner. He earned multiple blows to his face and body by each man at his sides. Hold him, Gunner warned. Then he chuckled, amused. I liked a girl once, too, remember? Yeah, Barney said, eager to let this distraction play out. He didn't know how long he could be forced to watch him cutting into Krenna, but he needed time to recover, store some energy. That was a long time ago. Oh, well. I learned something very important about women, Barney. No matter how much you give them, they'll never let you be the man you were destined to be. He turned back to Krenna. She lifted her chin, braving his knife's blade. Gunner! Barney took slow breaths, kept his hands loose, giving the two men holding him a false sense of security. He looked around, counted 15 more men, many in suits. Their weapons were all lowered, some even holstered, thinking that he was no longer a threat. Christmas still hung, unmoving. Yeah, boss? Just let her go. Let her go? What kind of man do you think I am? You really want me to answer that? Probably not. But here's the thing. She's got me curious. And you know what they say about curiosity. No. What? If you're going to be curious, be scientific about it. Those last cuts weren't that deep. Hardly nicked any veins at all. What do you say I cut her... Here, he motioned with the bloody tip of his bowie, lengthwise across Krenna's delicate throat. No! Barney tensed, and the men responded a little late, surprised by his strength. They held him tighter. Two men jogged over, quickly drawing their weapons. Aw, oh, come on, Barney. She's just gonna hold you back. He circled around her. A predator intent on killing. What's the big deal? If she dies, she dies. The back door exploded inward. Wooden shrapnel and lethal metal hinges flew through the air. Finally, reinforcements had arrived. Caesar and Toll Road could never stay away too long. Gunner hardly flinched, his blade sliced. Barney nearly lost his mind. He half-stepped forward, looped his arms around in big, winding circles until the men lost their grips on his wrists. 
he said to palm smashing into a nose and whipped a strong, rigid hand into the opposite man's throat. Then he spun for a leg sweep on the guy holding his bloody face. The soft, crunching sound of the back of the man's skull as it hit the concrete was satisfying. The second man held his throat, struggling to breathe through his crushed trachea. Barney slammed a right elbow into the side of his face, and the man went down like a wet blanket. Get him down! Barney yelled over the gunfire while running toward Krenna. The way her head hung, slumped and lifeless, made his stomach turn. He slid to his knees, removed the duct tape from her mouth, hands and waist. He pulled her onto his lap, cried, screamed Gunner's name. He gently laid Krenna's lifeless body down. And Gunner's long shin bone careened into Barney's face. The world swooned around him, threatened to take him on its wobbly ride. But he resisted it this time. He crawled along the concrete floor, searching for his guns. Another kick landed, and Barney reached to pull Gunner's heel from under him. Gunner was off balance from his kick and fell like a ton of bricks. Barney scrambled for a better position. The gunfight was quieting. Caesar and Toll Road were making quick work of Gunner's new friends. Only Gunner himself remained. He was on top of Barney, his bowie at Barney's neck. The muscled fibers in his arms were tearing with his effort to hold the larger man's weight and the knife away from him. A quick short elbow bought him a half second. They rolled, and then Gunner was on top of him again. Barney felt his strength weakening. There came a strange, gurgling sound. Gunner's eyes blinked behind stringy blonde bangs. He looked scared. He began seizing. His eyes rolled back until only the whites showed. Barney scooted out from under Gunner's incredible weight. Krenna was sitting up, her hand on Gunner's ankle. She was gasping for breath, as Gunner was. Her breaths were strengthening, his were weakening. Until finally, she opened her eyes, and Gunner's head slumped to the ground. Gunner was dead. She upstairs? Barney asked. Yeah, rested up and waiting for you, brother. Got a nice little private room for her up there all to herself. Tool winked, thumbed some tobacco into his pipe. Barney nodded to his men, already there, beers in hand. A game of knives already in play between Tool and Christmas. Barney didn't know what to say. They'd all thought he would quit, 
start a new life. But Krenna had pleaded with him not to. He had never felt more relieved in his life. She wanted him to continue to protect people, save the good from the bad. And she wanted to help him do it. She was the one who'd fired his handgun after he'd fallen. Turns out, she was good, real good, with an assortment of weapons, but didn't really need one. She had the potential to fit in with his team, seamlessly. Plus, it was nice to have a built-in medic. Church's people get in touch with you? He asked, while popping the tops of two beers. Yep, sure did. Seems they have an opening. Interested? Tool paused, then laughed, and the rest joined him. No way in hell would any of them become spooks. Hey, Bonnie. Barney waited silently as Christmas aimed, then let fly a throwing knife. Its point found the center of a sugar skull's eye on the target board. Christmas opened his mouth to say something, but then closed it. Sometimes it was just better to say nothing. Barney walked to his friend and with his free hand embraced Christmas as a brother. You know you can always count on me, right? Yeah. The incident with Gunner was a crushing blow for all of them. But Gunner had been right about something. They did need to make a change. Get reliable gigs for starters. All right, Christmas. My turn. Tool puffed his pipe, concentrated, let his blade fly. It hit with the satisfying thud of precision. Christmas held his beer up. Cheers. Barney looked up the stairs, then back at his crew. He felt awkward, clumsy. Conversation began again. There were no side glances his way, checking to see where he was going. Knives were flung. Beer bottles clinked together. They laughed easily, despite the hole they all felt in their team. They knew what Barney wanted, and they were all keeping their mouths shut about it. Because they all wanted the same thing. The hole to be filled. True to his word, Tool had cleared out the upstairs storage room and converted it into a bedroom for Krenna. He'd even had curtains installed. He gave her strict instructions that she was to room there any time she wanted. Whether or not Barney joined her was up to her. They'd all laughed at Barney's expense, something he knew he'd have to get used to. And he knew he would, because Krenna meant a new beginning for all of them. But especially for Barney. She would keep them all from death's doorstep. He knocked on the door, then entered. Candles were lit on a few small, strategically placed shelves around the room. Krenna lay below the covers of her new bed, a gift from Barney. She was propped on a single elbow, her long white hair tussled from sleep. The smile she greeted him with made the butterflies in his stomach do aerials. 
It had been a long time. He placed the beers on her nightstand. The scar on her neck was still there, a reminder. Feeling better? Yes. She saw him looking at the scar on her neck. Death scars take longer to heal, she said. They did. Barney still had the scar on his chest to prove it. Is there something else you wanted? She asked, sitting up, letting the silken sheets fall. Barney's mouth went dry. Yeah. What? You. She slid the covers back, revealing the rest of her naked body. Barney pulled his shirt over his head, towed his boots off, and climbed onto the bed. He took her into his arms and wasted no time climbing on top of her next. She accepted him, worked her hands between them as he kissed her. His belt was first, then his pants. I want to feel how much you want me. Make me come, Barney. He took one of her almond-colored nipples into his mouth, nearly wept when she arched into him, her fingers tugging at his hair. He moved to her other breast, her whimpers, music to his ears. He let his hands roam over her body. She was ecstasy made flesh. She pushed his head down. He went without any hesitation, tasting her skin along the way. He parted her knees, nibbled and kissed her inner thigh, set a downward course for home. He extended his tongue for the first taste. His cock wept, his abdomen tightened, his heart raced. Barney sucked, pulled her flavor into his mouth, circled and circled with his tongue, felt her clit harden. Her thighs pressed against the sides of his head. Her hips bucked. He watched her writhe, toss her head from side to side. Her lovely lips parted in ecstasy as she finally came. He closed his eyes now, drank from her well, rejuvenated himself. When she calmed, he abandoned her pussy long enough to thrust his cock into He let out a groan, grabbed her wrists with one hand, pinned them above her head, took her mouth with his, and fucked her. She met him thrust for thrust, her breasts bouncing and shaking with her efforts and his. He grabbed one of her thighs, bucked into her harder, faster, kissed her until he couldn't breathe, until he came too. He came. And then he made her come. He'd never felt more alive in his life. Never this free. Krenna saved his soul. She'd saved all of them.
For Stupid Fish Productions, this is Rose Carraway. you guys that was my very first fanfic story love is a battlefield based on sylvester stallone's the expendables hot hotness from the 80s brought to you in 2015 i love those movies and also ronda rousey is in it so that was really cool on number on the third installment of that that series of movies and i'm reading her book by the way too so that's kind of fun um also want to remind you guys don't forget that the sexy librarians dirty 30 the audiobook Ten and a half hours is available right now in Audible. Head over to audible.com. You can sign up and get your very first audiobook for free. And then every month after, you will get a free credit to another audiobook of your choice. I hope you choose every one that I've narrated. But of course, if you want references, I'm full of it. I can let you guys know. Um, also, the ebook for Dirty 30 is available for a limited time for $2.99. It is a full-length anthology. It's 33 stories. And, um, you know, that's the best way to support our show. All right, you guys, if you want to get in touch, my email is thekissmequicks at gmail.com. Head over to the website, thekissmequicks.com. If you want more episodes, subscribe. You guys can also subscribe to um, get notified anytime a new episode comes out or anytime I interview an author over at the Sexy Librarian Blogcast. I do post that stuff over at the website. Um, I think that that's it. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. So, hey, get in touch. All right, you guys. Love you. See you soon. I'd like to thank the following musical artists. Tom Fay, Kai Engel. Jan Morgenstern. Joe. Dexter Britton, Docs, Nine Inch Nails, Fancy Mike, and the feature credit song, Middle-Aged Youth, by The Fleshlights. The Kiss Me Quicks is produced by Big Daddy Dave Carraway. Stupid fish. Let me see those sweat marks. Baby. <laughs> I got sweaty titties. <laughs> Dude, uh, it's summertime. summertime. You know, you know it's summertime. Get sweaty titties. <laughs>